all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason, you. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. This podcast is a local production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting and depends on the support of listeners like you. If you can, please donate today at mpbonline.org. And thanks. Good morning. Thanks for joining us. You're listening to Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit on MPB Think Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Josie Bidwell, Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine and Nurse Practitioner at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. And today I have joining me Dr. Scott Stringer. He is a professor and chair in the Department of Otolaryngology, Head and Neck Surgery. And he's a practicing ear, nose, and throat physician and subspecializes in disorders of the nose. And that's kind of what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about things that affect our nose, like colds and allergies and sinus infections and lots of other things that have to to do with your nose. If you have questions for us, our number is 1-877-MPB-RING. It's 1-877-672-7464. You can email us, fit at mpbonline.org. Or you can go over to Facebook and interact with me on Healthy Habits with Josie. All right. Good morning, Dr. Stringer. Good morning. It's great to be here, Dr. Bidwell. Well, I'm so glad that you could join me. I just happened to be um, scrolling through Facebook, and I'm always a fan of the Ear, Nose, and Throat page that UMC has on Facebook. Put out lots of great information there. And I saw an upcoming series that you guys are going to be doing. And I knew we had to talk about it on the show and talk about what this is. But first tell if if folks don't know what ear, nose and throat or what otolaryngology is, what, what is that? And what do you guys do and see in clinic? Well, that's a great question. It's really anything in the head and neck area. That's not the eyes or the brain really. Uh, So uh, everything has to do with the ear, everything, the nose, the sinuses, the face, the skin of the face, the throat, the tonsils, the tongue, the bottom of the mouth. So pretty much anything there. But people most commonly see an ear, nose and throat doctor for uh, tubes for their children, inability to hear for some spot on their tongue to having their tonsils or adenoids out or having a sinus problem, you can't breathe, that sort of thing. But it's, it's really at a university, a, a very large spectrum of diseases, but those are some of the more common ones. Absolutely. My kiddos, well, my youngest kiddo had, had the tubes and adenoids and then ha- went back and had tonsils out. And we had, you know, a great experience with that. And he was like a different child after we had those things Uh, done for him. Now, tell me about this kind of virtual series that you guys are going to be doing and what led you to do that. Well, we've done this in the past in person. We've had community education series at the university level and at the department level. 
where we would sometimes bring people into the clinic and, and go over things with them or having community auditoriums and go over a variety of topics. And we do those all the time for physicians and advanced practice providers throughout the state. But it dawned on us during this uh, time where we're not meeting face to face that we really didn't have to forego that series. We just needed to make it virtual. We were already doing that for physicians and advanced practice providers. And so it's a series of events that we'll be offering to the community. Anyone can join up by Zoom. And uh, as you said, it's on Facebook and other social media sites. And we'll be covering the first one will be what we call nose woes. Basically, anything that goes wrong with your nose, we'll have a series about ears and we'll have a series about hearing problems and pediatric disorders. So we'll have five or six. And uh, as we see what the demand is, we'll keep rolling out other topics of interest to the community at large. Absolutely. And it's such a great uh, platform to be able to do that, to reach people that are not kind of in the metro area who wouldn't be able to, you know, even if we weren't socially distancing, who might not be able to get, get to us for an in-person event to be able to do this. And so the first one coming up is December the 10th. So that's this week at 7 p.m. And that's the one that you'll be doing called Nose Woes. Um, and then we've got one in January, one in February, and one in March that have been scheduled out with lots of different topics. Voice and Swallowing with Dr. Schweinfurth, Childhood Hearing Loss with Dr. Karen, and Managing Dizziness with Dr. Ebi. So that's a, a great lineup that you guys have um, put out there. And I know as a primary care provider, Nose Woes bring a lot of people into the clinic to, to see us, um, especially this time of the year as the weather's starting to change. One of the most common things we see is a runny nose, right? So how do we know when a runny nose is something that needs to visit the doctor or it's something that we can treat at home? Well, that's a, a challenging question. And I'll try <laughs> to, to break it apart. As you well know, in seeing these patients, the, the problem is if we say I have pain, Pain can mean a lot of different things, but it's one symptom. So a runny nose can mean a whole lot of different things. And uh, it's hard sometimes for a patient to dissect those. So we can give a few clues, though. The clues that we have or how long has this been going on? Is this something that happens to me at the same time of the year? Every time I get around a cat or when I go outside in October, that sort of thing. Uh, do I have pain? Am I having trouble breathing through my nose at the same time? Am I sneezing? Is the drainage clear or is it otherwise discolored? So those are all things that are important to know. What I'll, I'll say from a patient standpoint, uh, pain, persistent bleeding, persistent obstruction, those are things where you probably ought to get in to see your uh, provider as soon as you really can. But just for some uh, drainage, usually out of both sides of the nose, and I do want to say that there are some unusual circumstances you may not want to wait on. And one of those, we have patients come in months later complain of drainage when they lean their head over out of one side of the nose, dripping like a faucet on low. And so keep in mind, there is something called a spinal fluid leak, where you can have a thin spot in the bottom of your skull so not all clear drainage, especially if it's just one side, particularly when you lean over, that shouldn't really be ignored. Uh, it's not something people think about a lot. But the yeah. vast majority, 
of clear bilateral or both sides draining noses uh, when it happens, when you, you sneeze, you go outside, you're around some inciting event, that's usually allergy, you're itching as well. And then if you just have a little bit of a sore throat as well, maybe a cough, and certainly in these days we all are thinking about COVID, but there are hundreds of other viruses that, that cause this to happen and we've dealt with for centuries. And uh, in that case, then yes, a patient can certainly treat themselves in, in those settings. Yeah. And I'm really glad you mentioned kind of drainage from one side of the nose. So you mentioned kind of the spinal leak type situation. And then I was a school-based nurse practitioner for, for many, many years. And little kids would come in with drainage from one side of their nose. And it would be not clear, you know, it would be yellow or green or something like that. Mm -hmm. And often they had stuck something up in their nose and mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. forgotten that they had stuck it in there or didn't want to tell mama that they had stuck it in there. And so if you've got little ones that kind of have drainage from one side and it kind of doesn't smell great and has some color to it, it may be they've stuck something up their nose. So that's one I wouldn't I wouldn't necessarily wait on either. I'd go ahead and take them in, let us look up in the air and see see if there's a prize in there that we need to to get out um, before it you know gets infected and causes much more problem there. So if we if we know it's allergies, right? We we have them every year. It's the same time. What's the best way to treat just good old allergic rhinitis or hay fever that some people call it? Well, I tell you, it's a daunting prospect for the patient. Uh, I was actually talking to one of our staff members this morning about the experience of going into the pharmacy or the supermarket and looking at the cold, flu, and allergy section. <laughs> there are literally hundreds of medications there, and it's very difficult. So I'll give some kind of overview to it. When you really look at that entire section, and even going in there with 33 years of doing this, it takes me a minute to go through them all as well. There's really just about four or five ingredients that are in there at all. So most commonly you have something like Tylenol in a lot of products, or you might have something like people know it by the name Motrin or Advil, that sort of thing, what we call a non-steroidal anti-inflammatory. So if you see any of those, that's for nothing but really pain. And those aren't needed for allergy treatment. That might be useful for a cold or something like that. Um, so then we move into something called guafenicin, and a lot of uh, products have that in there. It's supposed to be a mucus thinner, and again, not really necessary for allergy, but frequently packaged with allergy medications. And most of the over-counter ones don't have enough in it to really thin the mucus much. Doesn't do any harm at all, but probably not gonna fix a whole lot. Then we go into uh, cough medicines. The most common one's called dextromethorphan. And uh, that one is not gonna help your allergy, really. So finally, we get down to really three types of medicines that are available over the counter. Some of those are available by prescription and over the counter, so it gets a little confusing. But antihistamines are by far the most common one used over the counter. And those come in two kinds, those that make us sleepy and those that don't make us sleepy. And there are several kinds of each. Usually the ones that don't make us sleepy, say non-sedating on them or non-drowsy. So that's always a good place to start is just a simple antihistamine. 
And if you happen to be able to find it without anything else in it, that's probably your best bet for allergies. Um, in Mississippi, it's behind the counter. In other states, Louisiana, for example, there are decongestants that are packaged with cold medicines or allergy medicines. And those, rather than drying up and causing us not to itch or sneeze, those decongest us. And they're usually called like phenylephrine or Sudafed or Sudafedrin's the, the generic name. People are usually familiar with them. If you get it in a prescription form, it's the one that always has the D in it. And I'll go ahead and just say that it's important for people to understand the difference in an antihistamine and decongestant, which is very confusing because they're packaged together often. But it's the D, the decongestant, that makes your blood pressure go up, not the antihistamine. And so many people say, I can't take an antihistamine. Well, there may be some other reason you can't take it for urinary symptoms or something like that. But the D or decongestant is what makes the blood pressure go up. Absolutely. So the the best bet. The second thing that now is available over the counter are the nasal steroid sprays. So a lot of brand names, Rhinocort, Flonase, Nasonex, Nasacort, and there's generally a generic sitting right by it in whichever store you go to, they work the same. And those are very good for allergies. And they not only help some with the sneezing and the draining, but they can cause a little decongestion of your nose too. So just to summarize, really all you're looking for is an antihistamine or a nasal steroid spray, but good luck. Um, <laughs> finding all those in the pharmacy. Yes, there are tons and tons out there and it can be confusing. Um, but I liked what you said about matching matching the symptom to the, the medication that you're picking. In general, I usually don't recommend those kind of bazooka, one-size-fits-all, multi-medicine mixtures because they have things in them that you you just don't need. And so if we don't need it, we don't don't take it, you know, especially ones that have um, Tylenol or ibuprofen, Advil, something like that in that, you know, if you're not hurting and you don't have a fever, then we don't necessarily need that. And if we do take it, we want to make sure that we don't additionally take other Tylenol or Motrin on top of that, because just because something's over the counter doesn't mean more of it is, is better. Um, we don't, we don't want to do that. We want to make sure we match it and really paying attention to that decongestant piece when it says D after it, some people get confused because some of them will say D and some of them say DM. When they say DM, that usually means they have the dextromethorphan in it, which is that cough suppressant. And the D is that decongestant piece. Um, and that is the one that makes blood pressure go up. And if you forget and you take it and you have high blood pressure and you go to see your healthcare provider and we check your blood pressure, just go on and kind of fess up and tell us, I took a medicine with a decongestant in it. That way I know not, you know, I'm not going to have to be adjusting your blood pressure medicines right now. We need to recheck it when you're not on, you know, a decongestant medication there and give you a recommendation for a medicine that will help your symptoms while not running your blood pressure up. I'm Dr. Josie Bidwell, Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine and Nurse Practitioner at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Thanks for listening to the Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit Podcast. If you have a question, you can email fit at mpbonline.org or leave a comment on my Facebook page, Healthy Habits with Josie. For ongoing information on staying healthy and fit, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app.
Allison Walker, the lady auto mechanic, host of AutoCorrect. If you're enjoying this podcast, try my podcast, AutoCorrect. We help steer you in the right direction with your car problems. Find me on any podcast platform or at autocorrect.mpbonline.org. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Tuning in, you're listening to Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit on MPB Think Radio. I'm Dr. Josie Bidwell, nurse practitioner at UMMC. And joining me today, I have Dr. Scott Stringer, professor and chair in the Department of Otolaryngology at UMC. And we are talking about your nose today and all the different things that can go wrong with your nose, sneezing and runny nose and all of those things. You can give us a call if you have a question for us. Our number is a one eight seven seven. MPB ring. It's one 672 You can email me fit at mpbonline.org or you can head over to Facebook and drop me a message there or send me a private message at Healthy Habits with Josie. I did have a question that came in through private message on Facebook that says every time I eat I get congested and my nose runs. Is this normal or should I be taking medicine for this? I'm so glad that question came in. It goes back to what we said about runny noses can mean a lot of different things. Your, your nose has certain ways to protect itself. And one of those ways is to sneeze. And one of those ways is to make a lot of mucus. So making a lot of mucus clears things out of there and we swallow it or it comes out the front. And so it's a good reason to have a runny nose, but sometimes it's not useful and uh, it's overkill and it causes a lot of problems. So the way the nose makes all that mucus is that it has uh, two kinds of nerves that come into the back of the nose. And uh, those nerves do one of two things. They either shrink up the inside of your nose and make it not run so you can breathe better if you're out for a run or something like that or they make your nose more swollen. It, it needs to be a little swollen because that's how it warms, filters, and humidifies the air. It's got to be in touch with that air. And then it also makes mucus. So sometimes those two nerves, which are in balance throughout the body, in particular in the, the nose, they get a little out of whack. And it especially occurs as we get older. We're not always exactly sure why. Uh, we may touch in a minute on what happens when you lie down at night and your nose gets congested and you can't breathe, especially as you get older. But in this case, it can happen to anybody. If you eat some hot, spicy foods, you may have experienced it. But in this particular question, it's every time I eat, my nose runs. And the answer is no, it's not really normal, but it doesn't mean anything terrible is going on. That nerve is out of balance and there is a treatment for that. It's currently not over the counter, but it is called uh, Atrovent is the brand name. Ipratropium bromide is the generic name and uh, it can be sprayed in the nose two to four times a day and or right before you eat every time and it works wonderfully for that so it basically blocks that nerve from making all that extra mucus production uh, if people get tired of that or they also have it running down the back of their throat even when they're not eating 
uh, which some people just make too much mucus, there's a new surgical procedure that's outpatient in the office, no general anesthesia, where you can freeze that little nerve and uh, decrease it uh, making too much mucus. At first, we always try the medication, but if that doesn't work, there's an in-office procedure to help people too. So the answer is, it is normal, but not something we want you to have to live with. And there is a great treatment for that. It's called Atrovent. If you go ask your provider, works really that's well. That's excellent. And that, you know, that's a question that, um, I mean, I see patients who come into the clinic with that a lot as well. And it, it's really just one of those nuisance kind of things. You know, it's, it, it hardly makes you go see somebody, but if you're doing a lot of, you know, dining out, it could be, you know, distressing for that to happen. So it's great to know that there's a pretty simple fix for that going on. All right, we've got a caller on the line. We're going to go to Mobile and talk with Robert. Good morning, Robert. Good morning. I, uh, Good morning. I'm very, very interested in the nose running because I, I have it when I eat. I, I have, I've always had a running nose since a little kid. But, uh, and I've tried things, and I've been to the dermatologist, I mean, the guy who scratches your back with 25 places, from allergic to everything. But I found that the best thing for me is honey and pollen. I don't have honey to be pollen. I had a guy mm-hmm. in Montgomery who collected pollen during the state, Mississippi State's flower season. About that sort gives me sore throat. I took it. The next season, it, I was protected Honeybee pollen's a good thing if any of your listeners like uh, homeopathic kinds of medicines. It's natural, land of milk, and the fruit of the honeybee. Really good stuff. <laughs> Just thought I'd Absolutely. add Absolutely. God bless y'all. Have a very Merry Christmas, and be safe, everybody. Thank you so much. You be safe as well, and Merry, Merry Christmas. So, Dr. Stringer, let's talk about honey for a second. And what are your thoughts on using honey for um, for allergies or for cough? That's where I see it used a lot as well. Sure. So let's start with the cough. It's a little more clear. Uh, so it's been demonstrated, as you know, that uh, taking honey, especially in children, adults as well, is almost as equal, if not more effective, than taking over-the-counter cough medications. So I definitely think my grandmother, I'm not uh, suggesting this, my <laughs> grandmother would give us honey and whiskey, and uh, probably not the best thing for your children. But, uh, anyway, honey is probably what does the best job. So I would go with honey for a cough, for a non, uh, not a prolonged cough, but it's a good cough suppressant, so yes. In terms of uh, for allergies, I don't think it's as clear. There are many things that people try that seem to help their allergy. And I have no criticism of them because for the most part, these things are safe, used in small doses. And uh, so it's, it's worth a try if it works for you. But I will say there is some scientific evidence for one particular type of honey for some sinus problems. It's called Manuka honey. And um, we haven't gotten into it yet, but saltwater rinses of the nose are great for everything, whether it's allergies, whether it's colds, whether it's sinus infections, saltwater rinses have been shown to be very effective. And uh, so the, um, the treatment with this Manuka honey in salt water as a rinse is shown to kill certain bacteria, particularly staph. 
And so this Manuka honey in the right situation as a rinse of the nose has been scientifically shown to be helpful. So many natural products do have antibiotic effects and anti-inflammatory effects. Just always maybe talk to your provider. Make sure you're not accidentally doing something that's going to harm you. But yes, just a... Uh, so Josie, do you know, is it a teaspoon or a tablespoon? You know, it depends if it's you know, little kids versus adults, but really... <laughs> You know, somewhere between a teaspoon to two teaspoons is is appropriate for that. Um, sometimes I'll thin it out a little bit. I don't want to thin it out too much because part of the reason it helps with the cough is because it kind of coats everything. Um, but I'll thin it out with a little bit of warm water um, to help, you know, kind of take that that honey in there. The other thing to remember is we don't do honey um, uh, on kiddos less than uh, them one. We don't want to do honey on them. And then... Think about um, making sure that you then follow anything you take like that with lots of hydration because that's going to further help thin out any mucus or anything that you have going on there. I like that you mentioned the saline rinses and the Manuka honey. Um, you know, we've um, long been using medical grade honey for wound healing um, and, and putting those honey preparations on skin wounds to, to help with, um, with that. And it works well. I had not heard about it in the sinus rinse though. So that is very, very interesting. My youngest child was sick for, it felt like his entire first year, um, like on daily antibiotics, lots of, lots of issues going on, lots of chronic sinus stuff. Um, and, Actually, Dr. DeShazo was treating him and he put us on the sinus rinses and we had to do that twice a day. And it was amazing the amount of just gunk that came out when you rinse the sinuses that way. Ultimately, we had our uh, adenoids removed uh, by Dr. Reed and that that really helped the situation because we weren't draining at all. But I definitely recommend the sinus rinses um, as a way to help with allergies, nasal stuffiness and congestion, all those kinds of things. And especially when I was pregnant, you know, there's not many medicines that you can really use during that time. And so I did, I got a cold and I used the sinus rinse during that time. But there's a right way to do a sinus rinse and a wrong way to do a sinus rinse. What are some some tips on, sure. on rinsing your sinuses? Absolutely. So the first thing I want to say is do not use straight tap water in your sinus rinse. There are some uh, microorganisms that uh, you probably, your listeners may have heard about, kids diving in warm lakes, and you can have an uh, infection that goes into the brain and causes uh, serious harm and frequently death. So we do not, most water supply is safe, but from time to time, a city water supply will be contaminated, and this amoeba uh, will get through into the water. So we do not recommend straight tap water. So there are methods online for boiling that water. We do not want to put hot water in our nose. So you want to follow those directions. I would say the simpler way is use commercially bottled or distilled water. And uh, there are ways to be able to, other than boiling, to use UV light and other ways to sterilize tap water. But commercially bottled water or distilled water are the safest ways to protect yourself unless you have no other choice but to boil your own water and let it cool down to room temperature. So that's the first thing. And most of the, the uh, bottles used for rinsing have those instructions on there, but we just want to make sure that we're not using tap water. 
The second thing is we're usually going to put some salt water. They're prepackaged mixes in there. They get the right concentration because if you don't get the right concentration, it will burn your nose. If it's too salty or if it's not salty enough, some preparations also have some bicarbonate in there. Our website, uh, umcent uh, umcent com or go through the ummc.edu website has those instructions for making salt water and there's a lot of preparations out there uh, but anyway you want to get either salt and bicarbonate the right concentrations or buy the prepackaged mixes in terms of a neti pot versus a squeeze bottle either one is okay but you're going to get a better effect by having a high volume rinse not just a slight mist and then the technique between the neti pot and the squeeze bottle, slightly different, but basically it's leaning your head over, leaning your head to one side, irrigating the nose, and it comes out the, the opposite side. We also have a nice video on our website as well, illustrating uh, how to do that. And there's there's hundreds on YouTube. Yeah, and I like you mentioned the, the neti pot versus the squeeze bottle. I've used them both. Um, I found the squeeze bottle to be the best one for me just because I tend to be a little bit more timid with the neti pot. You know, I'll kind of start to pour it and then regret it and <laughs> kind of stop. And the squeeze bottle just tended to give me a little bit more force, especially when I was using it with um, with my kids. It tended to, to do a little bit better that way. But whichever one you like and you tolerate is fine. I do recommend... Um, checking out your website on how to mix that salt solution or using it commercially prepared because you don't want to, to put an incorrect concentration of salt in there because it does burn and irritate your nose. I'm Dr. Josie Bidwell, Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine and Nurse Practitioner at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Thanks for listening to the Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit Podcast. If you have a question, you can email fit at mpbonline.org or leave a comment on my Facebook page, Healthy Habits with Josie. For ongoing information on staying healthy and fit, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. A contractor ever tell you of the price of something and it sounds so high you think, eh, maybe I'll try it myself. Some jobs just aren't that difficult, and yes, you can do it. If you want to find out how to do those things, listen to Fix It 101, podcast everywhere. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. You're listening to Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit on MPB Think Radio. I'm Dr. Josie Bidwell. Joining me today is Dr. Scott Stringer, and we are talking about your nose and sinuses today. I've had a couple of questions to come in through Facebook this morning. If you have a question for us, you can always do it that way. It's Healthy Habits with Josie. Or you can email us, fit at mpbonline.org. Or you can hop on the line and chat with us this morning. Our number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one eight seven seven six seven two. 7464. So the first question that came in is about Afrin. And it says, when we were discussing um, over-the-counter treatment options for nose issues earlier, we didn't mention Afrin. Is that something that we should stay away from? I'm so glad that question came in. So Afrin is a wonder drug when used correctly. 
And so it definitely is over the counter and it goes by the generic name oxymetazoline. And you'll see a lot of different products labeled that way. And some of the generic uh, local store brand products are equivalent to Afrin. But Afrin is the most commonly known medication. So Afrin is decongestant. We talked a lot about decongestants, but we talked about them in terms of the oral form. The good thing about using it in your nose is it rarely causes the high blood pressure when used correctly. It also um, tends to have a, a more controlled action, doesn't go throughout your body and cause headaches sometimes if you're using it for a while. So here's the bad thing about Afrin. So Afrin basically acts like that nerve does that I talked about that decongest your nose. And so it squeezes the blood vessels in your nose. And when that happens, you can get a lot more air through there. So it works fantastic for short-term use, usually associated with a cold, maybe occasionally for a certain bad day of your allergy season. But in general, the best recommendation is to not use it for longer than three days at a time. Because when it's used longer than that, your body stops making the chemical that it needs to decongest your nose. And when that happens, you become more and more independent on the afrin. You have to use more, more of it more times a day. And uh, your body just doesn't produce the chemical anymore. So you have to go to your provider to find out how to get off of that. It can be done, uh, but it's something you'd rather not deal with. So if you're really having to use afrin for more than three days, you've got another problem anyway that you need to see your healthcare provider about. There is one exception to this. I want to make it clear. This should be done under the supervision of your physician. And that is, it has been shown that if you have a need for it, that Afrin combined with a nasal steroid spray can be used longer term without getting what we call the rebound effect. But I would only suggest that when you're working with your provider directly, they're monitoring it with you to make sure you're using it too correctly. And that uh, can be particularly helpful. We mentioned some uh, people as they age, frequently when they lie down at night or turn over on one side, they're stuffed up. There's a surgery, minor surgery can be done to help that, but not everybody's in the best condition for surgery or wants to have it. And so Afrin along with the Flonase can be used safely again at night for that on a longer term basis, but again, only under the supervision of your provider. But short term, less than three days, it works great. Yeah. And, you know, the other kind of part of that, that three days thing, obviously it's to try to prevent this dependence upon it. But like you mentioned, if you've got nasal congestion and, and all of these things going on and it's not getting better after several days, we want to know about that, right? We want to make sure that we're not getting an infection or something that needs further treatment. So it's always a good idea if your symptoms are just not getting better to go ahead and give your provider a call and see what, what can be done about that situation. Um, I did have another question that came in about masks and nosebleeds. So this person states that they're having to wear a mask um, for several hours at a time due to their job, uh, and they've noticed that they're having some increase in nosebleeds. Is there anything to do to help prevent that or how to stop it once it starts? Sure. We are definitely entering nosebleed season. So... Your nose, we talked a lot about decongestants and how it constricts blood vessel. The point is that your nose has a whole lot of blood vessels in it 
and they're all real close to the surface, unlike your skin, where you might see a few, but most of them are pretty deep below the skin. You look at a nose, you can actually see the blood vessels many times, and they're like that for a good reason. Your nose uh, warms, filters, and humidifies the air like a radiator. And so in order to do that, the blood's got to be really close to the air. And so that's why the blood vessels are so close to the surface. So anything that dries out the nose is going to make those blood vessels potentially crack or any minor trauma to the nose as well. So I often describe it as if you're in the winter and your hands get dried out uh, and sore, you put lotion on it. So we're not going to say put lotion up your nose, but we are going to say humidify it and because it has just gotten dry. So many things, heat indoors, a mask potentially can lower the humidity in your nose and therefore it can become more dry because it has to use all its water to make the air more moist. Uh, things like people that wear CPAP mask at night too have this similar problem. So anything at all that dries out your nose makes you prone to nosebleeds. So what do you do to prevent them and what do you do when you get them? So the prevention's the best if we can and that is moisturization. And so for nosebleeds, most nosebleeds happen in the first half inch or so up in the nose. We usually think it's coming from a lot higher, but I promise you, looking in there, it's not. Um, <laughs> so now it may go down your throat if you lean your head back, uh, for sure. And there are other rare nosebleeds that do come from the back. So the point is, you only have to moisturize the first part of your nose, and it's coming from the middle most of the time. There's two hallways in your nose and there's a wall in between called your septum and so most of the time the nosebleeds are coming from the middle so salt water mist i'm talking about something different this time not a full-blown rinse your nose out but there are a variety of salt water mist gels uh, you can even use water-based gels like ky jelly salt water jelly a lot of different brand names salt water mist so doing that several times a day is directed. It's very helpful. If that doesn't work, then you can use for a short period of time some petroleum jelly, a very small amount just inside your nose. Gently push the soft part of your nose against it twice a day. If you have to do that more than five or six days, and again, you probably ought to be seen. But when it won't get better with saltwater mist, saltwater jelly, something like that, a little bit of petroleum jelly works there as well. And then after that, you probably need to, to see your provider. In terms of what to do when you have one, there are a million different stories and everybody's grandmother's told them something, but the ones that most reliably work are sit up and if you lean backwards, it's gonna run backwards. If you lean forward, it's gonna run forward. We'd rather it run forward than backwards, but just straight up's fine. Uh, then you gently blow your nose. If you're getting a lot of these, it's not a bad idea to have a little afrin around that we talked about before. Spray a squirt of afrin or two in each side of your nose. And then probably the most important thing is squeeze the soft part of your nose together for at least a minute. We prefer several minutes, but whatever you can breathe through your mouth for. Squeeze both parts of the soft part, and that's the point. You don't have to squeeze the bone. It won't move in the first place, and the nosebleed's not coming from up there. So gently blow your nose, sit up, afferent if you've got it, squeeze the soft part of your nose, and do it again, and then generally that will stop 
99% of nosebleeds. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, being that school-based practitioner, I saw nosebleeds a ton. And nine times out of 10, the, the sweet kid would come in my office with their head back. Um, they were pinching the bone of their nose. Blood is, is going everywhere. And then they throw up because all that blood went down the back of their throat, made them nauseated, and they got sick. So I, I want to make sure we really um, are clear that you don't have to lean your head back. I think a lot of people do that because they're trying to keep blood from, from going everywhere. Um, but just get you some tissues and, again, sit upright or lean forward a little bit. And, you know, anytime something's bleeding, we try to put pressure on it. And the easiest way to put pressure on it is just like you said, squeeze the, the squishy part of your nose together, not on the bone there. And it, it should stop in, in a couple of minutes. Um, and it looks like more blood than it is. Uh, and if you're prone to those, keeping some of that afrin around as well, because it shrinks those um, blood vessels up and helps to control that bleeding there. I'm Dr. Josie Bidwell, Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine and Nurse Practitioner at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Thanks for listening to the Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit Podcast. If you have a question, you can email fit at mpbonline.org or leave a comment on my Facebook page, Healthy Habits with Josie. For ongoing information on staying healthy and fit, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. Hi, I'm Ryder Taff, Portfolio Manager at New Perspectives, a fee-only financial advisory and co-host of Money Talks. Each week, we take your personal finance questions and tell you about a money topic we hope you find helpful. Money Talks can be heard Tuesdays at 9 a.m. on MPB Think Radio. Podcasts can be found on our website, money.mpbonline.org, or on your smart devices podcasting platform. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Listening to Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit on MPB Think Radio. I'm Dr. Josie Bidwell, joined today by Dr. Scott Stringer, and we are talking all about your nose woes today. And we uh, have gotten lots of great questions that have come in by Facebook. You can always send us questions there, even when we're not on the air. That's Healthy Habits with Josie. You can also email us, fit at mpbonline.org. We're happy to take those questions that way. Last week, I got a ton of emails about plant-based nutrition, which makes me very, very happy. And I am still going through those and sending out tons of information on plant-based nutrition. So thank you for reaching out by email. All right. I want to make sure that we talk about the difference between a cold and a sinus infection and when you need antibiotics. So what's the skinny on that, Dr. Stringer? Yeah, that's a tough one for sure, but we can give you some <laughs> good direction on that. So the, if you were a betting person, you would want to take the odds that most things that happen to your nose when you think you have an infection, it's technically infection, but it's what we call a cold. So let's differentiate those. So what we call a cold is generally something, a little bit of a sore throat, maybe a cough, runny nose, stuffy nose, some discharge, and we don't feel great. We don't have a high fever generally like we might have with the flu or currently COVID. Um, so 
that is 99% of the time caused by a variety of rhinoviruses, some other kinds of coronaviruses, not the one we're dealing with right now. And there are hundreds of different viruses that can cause what we call a cold. It's self-limiting. It does not respond in any way to antibiotics. Now, we all think it does because they go away in about seven to 10 days. And so we take an antibiotic and lo and behold, our cold goes away in seven to 10 days and we think it cured us. But 99% are due to just regular old cold viruses. And there's a lot of side effects from taking too many antibiotics, a lot of cost and, and resistance. So what we call a sinus infection is really a bacterial infection that occurs in your sinuses, which are the rooms off the hallway of your nose. So the ones under your eyes, above, up in your forehead, behind your eyes, that's what gets bacterial infections. And they almost always follow a cold. So you think you're getting better and you don't, or you were getting better and then it gets worse again. So a rule of thumb is that you might need antibiotics if you don't get better in seven to 10 days, or you were getting better and you get worse again, or if you even from the start have one-sided pain, uh, because colds are not one-sided. Sinus infections can be one-sided, or your teeth are hurting really bad on one side in particular, but most go away. So time and unilateral symptoms can be used to differentiate, or if you just don't get well, then you need antibiotics. Otherwise, generally just wash your hands, salt water, like we talked about before, take you know plenty of fluids, some Tylenol or ibuprofen if you need it. Uh, then also uh, you can use a little suit of, uh, we talked about before, a little aspirin for a day or two if you really need it. And histamines don't work for colds because colds are not from histamine, allergies are. And finally, there's some evidence that uh, vitamin C can be helpful in shortening the duration and the intensity of the symptoms. It's not gonna cure it, but it can make it easier to manage. And doses vary in terms of recommendation, uh, but usually it's around 3000 milligrams a day, which is a lot. Um, then uh, zinc gluconate taken within the first 24 hours can shorten a cold, not gonna cure it. I wanna be clear, don't squirt zinc up your nose. There are some zinc-containing nose sprays that were used in the past, and those can uh, ruin your smell. So we're talking about the zinc lozenges uh, is what's been shown to maybe help shorten the duration, but no cure. Absolutely. And, you know, it's, it's so it, – I know it's frustrating from a patient standpoint when they come in and they feel bad and we don't give them an antibiotic, but really we're doing that – because that's what the science is telling us that, you know, we, that 99% of the time we don't need it, that, but if we're getting worse, if symptoms are not improving after, you know, seven days or so, or like you said, you were getting better and then you kind of start to to decline again, those are times when we need an antibiotic on board there because antibiotics are not benign. You mentioned antibiotic resistance. And then there's also antibiotic-associated diarrhea that people get, and then yeast infections. And so we don't want to cause something when the medication might not have been indicated in the first place. So it's, it's, it's not that we're not wanting to give you antibiotics. It's just we're wanting to, to do what is clinically indicated for you at that time. 
All right, that was a quick hour and we had lots of great questions that came in. If you didn't get your question in, you can email me fit at mpbonline.org or you can join one of these exciting virtual sessions that UMC's ENT department is hosting. The first one is this week, December the 10th at 7 p.m. Nose woes with, with Dr. Stringer. If you, you can find that on Facebook or um, Instagram, uh, registration information about that, or you can email me and I'm happy to get you in touch with the right folks to get you set up to do that. I'm Dr. Josie Bidwell, Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine and Nurse Practitioner at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Thanks for listening to the Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit Podcast. If you have a question, you can email fit at mpbonline.org or leave a comment on my Facebook page, Healthy Habits with Josie. For ongoing information on staying healthy and fit, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. Hi, I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, Professor of Internal Medicine and Pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. On the original Southern Remedy, we answer questions about all aspects of your health and share some of the latest medical information in the news. You can listen to the show on Wednesdays at 11 on MPB Think Radio, or you can subscribe to the podcast by searching for Southern Remedy on your preferred podcasting app.